So in this basket, I have different kinds of bread. One of my favorite things about going to a restaurant is when they bring the bread to the table. Anybody big bread fans? Yes, yes. When they bring the bread out, you know, I used to work at the Outback Steakhouse down in Terre Haute, and uh, everybody loved our bread at Outback. Everybody loved the little brown loaf of bread that they would bring out. And so I would always, you know, take it to the table right when they sat down, and they would just, I mean, go right through that bread. They would just not, anyway, so they'd eat the bread as fast as they possibly could. I'd bring them a second loaf, and then uh, inevitably, at the end of the meal, I'm packing up doggy bags and things like that, and bringing out, and, hey, could you know, on the sly, right? And sneak, can, can you get us an extra loaf of bread? And it's like, yeah, just between, you know, uh, $20. Uh, you know, extra tip. Anyway, no. Um, so, yeah, I love the bread at the Outback. Um, when I think about bread at a restaurant, I think of Olive Garden breadsticks. Oh, you know. You've had these before, yes. The Olive Garden bread. Think about those for just, just a second. Don't dwell too long. It's still early, but, you know, it's never too early for garlic breadsticks from, from Olive Garden. But uh, think about those for just a second. Okay, stop thinking about them now. Or else you're going to get up and leave. <laughs> We're going to Olive Garden, Sean. But, uh, you know, bread is a staple of our diet. It's a staple. of, And, and we, it's been that way for thousands of years. It's been that way for thousands of years. And it's funny how different uh, cultures, uh, different ethnicities have their own kinds of bread. So I, I, I have some different kinds of bread up here. Uh, this one here, uh, this is a, a French baguette. I took three years of French in high school. Don't remember any of it, but I do know that baguette is French. So um, uh, they have the French baguette. Uh, there is uh, Italian bread, um, which is very, I'm making a mess. Uh, it's very similar to the French baguette, but don't tell the French I said that, um, that the French and Italian bread are the, basically the same thing. Um, there is plain old wheat bread. You know, this is just your average normal wheat bread. Uh, the Greeks have uh, pita, bread, pita bread. Anybody pita bread? fans and some pita bread fans um uh down south of the border we have the tortilla right the tor- i love the tortilla fry these things up and serve them at a restaurant and they're called chips uh my little guy loves the chips we went out to dinner last night over at the airport at meteor and he's like are we gonna have chips don't you worry we will have chips um there's the bagel uh, that's a kind of bread right anybody bagel fans in the morning Got to have a wow, there's a lot of bagel fans. And then there's the most disgusting kind of bread known to man, uh, and it's called rye. It is, uh, I, I am almost getting sick just standing here holding it close to my nose. It is just awful. And, and like I said, you know, I hate rye bread, especially the seeded kind. Oh, goodness gracious, it's so gross. But, you know, it's funny, you know, like I said, cultures have their own kinds of breads, you know, civilizations have their own kinds of bread. And and one of the kinds of bread, you know, like I'm Irish, for example, you know, and we we drink our bread, Um, you know. Have you you ever had a pint of Guinness? I'm not saying I have, not saying I haven't, but uh, it's like a loaf of bread, it's like a loaf of pumpernickel in a glass, you know. So, uh, anyway. Love the bread. Love the bread. We love bread. And for thousands of years, we have been combining oil and water and yeast and and flour into various kinds of bread. And we just eat this stuff, you know. And and the low-carb craze, right, here in America, you know, it's like no carbs. Carbs are the enemy. Carbs are bad. You know, no carbs, you know. I can do it. I've been on low-carb diets before for about four hours. And then it's like, as soon as I say... No carbs. I think to myself, but I could really go for a pizza right now. (laughs) 
which is, you know, sauce and cheese and sausage on top of bread, right? And as soon as we say, I'm not going to eat bread, that's when we want bread the most because bread is a staple of our diet and we love bread. No matter where you go in the world, whether it's naan in India or pitas in the Middle East or tortillas in Mexico, where we love bread of all kinds and shapes and sizes. We love bread. And, 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 and it, bread satisfies our hunger in a way like very few things can. And, and bread can be kind of cheap sometimes. You can buy a loaf of bread and that'll feed you, you know, bread and ham and cheese will feed you for a week. You know, bread is one of those things that's just a staple of our diets. And so we, we love our bread. Now, what we're going to talk about today is, is not physical bread. We're going to talk about spiritual bread. And we're going to talk about this, you know, hunger that we have, this spiritual hunger that we have, the spiritual thirst that we have. And so my question for you today is, how hungry are you spiritually? Are you spiritually hungry? And how are you trying to fill that hunger? How are you trying to satisfy your spiritual hunger? Because too often we settle for spiritual junk food or spiritual snacks when what our souls really crave is spiritual bread, living bread, real bread. And fortunately for us, God provides it. God has provided living bread that will satisfy our hearts and souls like nothing else can. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Uh, we are continuing on in our series that we started last, uh, started a few weeks ago. It's called Jesus Is. And this series is about seven statements that Jesus made in the book of John. The book or gospel of John is a biography written by Jesus' good friend John. It's a biography of Jesus. And in this biography, G, uh, John wrote it for a very specific purpose. And that was so that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, just as he said he was. And so the book of John or Gospel of John is designed to inspire faith in Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven statements, seven specific statements about himself that begin with the words, I am. And so on Easter Sunday, we began, uh, Easter weekend, we began looking at this series of statements that Jesus made when we saw that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so we talked about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, and he is not just someone who raises the dead, but he himself was raised from the dead. That Jesus was raised from the dead. He was crucified. He died on the cross for the sins of, the, of humanity, for the sins of the world. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And yet God raised him from the dead on the third day, just like he said he would. So Jesus was raised from the dead. He could not only raise the dead, but he himself was raised from the dead. And that is true of no other religious leader. No other religious leader in the history of the world has ever been raised back to life. And Jesus Christ was raised and he lives forever and ever and ever. And those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ by believing in him, repenting from sin, confessing your faith and getting baptized, those who put their faith in Christ will live with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. So we looked at that first statement on Easter weekend. Then we looked at a statement that Jesus made about how he is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we talked about how Jesus 
is the only way to be saved. There is no other name given uh, to people by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's the only road that leads to heaven. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus is the light of the world. And we saw that we need, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to do a better job of accurately portraying and accurately shining the light of Jesus Christ and representing him to this dark world. That it is a dark world, right? I mean, it is dark out there. And there's a lot of darkness of sin and a lot of darkness in the world. And we need to shine Jesus's light. We need to reflect the light of the S-O-N, kind of like the moon reflects the light of the sun. We need to reflect the light of the Son of God to this dark world. But we need to do it in a way that accurately represents who Jesus is. Because a lot of times we'll look down our noses at people and we'll judge people, we'll condemn people. uh, And it's not our job. It's not our job to judge and condemn the world. Uh, Jesus is the judge of the world, not us. And so our job is to reflect his light to this dark world so that we can light up those places where there's darkness and we can expose the darkness uh, by shining Jesus' light. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Not you, not me. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world and we reflect his light to this dark world. Today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the bread of life. And, and we've, uh, we've talked about some different words uh, that are very common in the book of John. Uh, for example, we talked about the word life. Uh, the word life appears 41 times in the English translation of the book of John. 41 times. And then the word truth appears 23 times in John's gospel. The word light appears 16 times. And then today's word is bread. And the word bread appears 20 times in the gospel of John 14 of those in chapter 6 alone. And that's where we are today is in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. If you brought a Bible, great. You can pull it out. Turn to John chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can check out the words that will be on the screen. You can grab a Bible out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 755 where we're going to be. And we're going to look at the whole chapter, but we're, going, we're only going to read uh, six verses from chapter, on chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is the bread of of life, or the bread who gives life. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to kind of give you some background of John chapter 6 and uh, what happens leading up to this statement that Jesus made. Uh, In John chapter 6, we see one of the miraculous signs that Jesus does uh, that is common to all four Gospels. Now, every Gospel, every biography of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written from different perspectives and for different purposes. But this is one of the miracles that Jesus does that appears in all four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is the feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew's Gospel, we see that there are 5,000 men on a hill, and Jesus said, on a mountain, and uh, Matthew said that uh, that didn't include the women and children who were there as well. So Jesus is, he is growing in notoriety. He is growing in fame. Uh, People are flocking to him. Uh, People are surrounding him. People are all around Jesus all the time. And so Jesus goes up on a mountain with his disciples and the crowds follow him up on this mountain. And like I said, in Matthew's gospel, he tells us that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. If you included women and children, it's probably somewhere closer to uh, 8 to 20,000. There may have been as many as 20,000 people up on this mountain where Jesus goes with his disciples. And so Jesus is going to ask one of his disciples a question. He looks out over the crowds. There's thousands and thousands of people. And he turns to his disciple, Philip. And he says, Philip, 
Where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And Philip is incredulous. Philip says, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? He didn't say that. That's Sean's paraphrase. But Philip said, eight months worth of wages, 200 denarii, which is about eight months worth of wages, says eight months worth of wages would not be enough to buy enough bread for everybody to have just a bite, let alone to be satisfied, let alone to be, to be full. And then Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, pipes up and says, well, here's a boy, a young boy, that has five little loaves of bread and two pieces of cooked fish. So he's got five little barley loaves and two pieces of cooked fish. It was probably his lunch for the day. And this is the lunch of a pauper. This is a poor man's lunch. And Jesus brings him over to him. He takes the bread and he takes the fish and he begins to give thanks for it and he blesses it. And then he begins to divide it. And he just pulling the fish apart, pulling the bread apart, and giving it to his disciples. And his disciples go out, and they're, they're giving fish and, and bread to everybody. And it says that everybody was full, and they were filled, and there were 12 wicker baskets left over. 12 baskets of fish and bread left over. Now, it's interesting, because in those days, you know, you, you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from necessarily. You would work for a day's wages, and then you would go buy bread at the end of the day, and that would be your food for the next day. And you never ate till you were full. Here in America, we eat till we're stuffed, right? I mean, we have restaurants where it's like the whole per, it, all you can eat. And we, like, take advantage of that. I mean, we stuff ourselves. Have you seen some of the portions at some of these restaurants where, I mean, they will bring you out, just, they may as well just bring out a feed trough and set it in front of you. There's so much food. Not in those days. Yet here, when Jesus divides up the fish and bread and he gives it to his disciples to give to the people, they are filled until they're satisfied. Because Jesus, and not only that, but there's leftover. Because Jesus, when he satisfies you, when he fills you, he fills you abundantly. And he takes care of your needs abundantly. He provides for your needs over and over and over again to abundance. And when he gives life, he gives life abundantly. So there's 12 baskets left over. Now, some have tried to explain the way this miracle and say, well, you know, all, all that really happened was, you know, Jesus took this uh, poor boy's uh, lunch and, uh, and because the boy was willing to share, everybody else said, oh, you know, we should share too. And so they started to share their food and everybody was satisfied and there was food left over. John won't let that happen though. John says that that's not what happened. In, in John six fourteen. It says, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice, he says, after the people saw the what? Miraculous sign. This was a genuine, authentic miracle. This is something that cannot be explained away by science. It cannot be explained away other than the fact that it was an actual miracle of Jesus. That he took this tiny amount of food and fed over 5,000 people with it. Because he is the son of God. And that's what the people begin to realize. That he is the prophet, they said, who is to come into the world. That this is Jesus and he's no ordinary man. And he is the, they're, they're starting to wonder, is, could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Savior? Could he be the one that God promised to send? And it says that they were going to make him king and so Jesus slips away. Because he knew what they wanted to do. And so Jesus and his disciples slip away. His disciples get in a boat. They're right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
uh, the disciples get in a boat and uh, they sail across the sea and the seas are rough and, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water in the middle of the night. Now, he's not swimming uh, and he's not water skiing. No, he is literally walking on the surface of the water. Again, another miracle that only Jesus can do and he walks on the water out to where his disciples are. They get to the other side and then the next day, the people on the other side of the sea go, well, where did Jesus go? And they get into some boats and they follow him across to the other side of the sea. I want to pick it up. I want to read in 25 through 34. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Like they didn't just see him feed 5,000 people. With. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. And so what, the, what, his, what these people want is they want a, a bread that's never going to run out. Kind of like the manna in the desert when the Israelites were wandering in the desert after they left Egypt. They wanted physical bread. And Jesus says, I'm not here to satisfy your physical hunger. I'm here to satisfy your spiritual hunger. And then we get to this passage, to Jesus's I am statement, verses 35 through 40. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. I love this statement that Jesus makes. First of all, He says, I am the bread of life. And another way to translate that from the Greek is, I am the bread who gives life. I am the living bread who gives life. And we find life in Jesus. Sustain, uh, uh, sustenance that we need comes from Jesus Christ. Spiritually, he feeds us this bread of life. And then he says, all who the Father give me, I will never drive away. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm afraid that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. Because I know my own sinfulness, because I know my own shortcomings, and I know my own faults and failures. Because I know that I'm a sinner, sometimes I wonder if Jesus wants anything to do with me at all. That he would just, you know, just as well, just, just push me away. But what does he say? All who the Father gives me, I will never drive away. Jesus will never get sick of you. And he will never push you away. You can walk away from him if you want, but he will never push you away. He will never drive you away. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you up to your own devices. He will never say, you know what? Done. Had enough of Sean. You're out. He will never do that, he says. 
And so what is it? And we have this connection. He says uh, that all who the Father gives me, and you may wonder, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that the Father is going to give them to me? There's two parts to this uh, salvation. There's two parts to eating of this spiritual bread. Uh, God draws us to Jesus. That uh, God brings us to him and God draws us to Jesus. And Jesus is so uh, wonderfully attractive because of his unconditional love, because of his grace, because of his mercy. And, and, and we are drawn to him. But we have a responsibility. We have to make that choice and say, I will follow you. And, and that's why we, we talk a lot about baptism here. That that is making this choice, this decision to, for yourself to follow Jesus. And say, I am going to follow him. Uh, I will follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. Like I said, we had two baptisms last night. We've had over 20 baptisms so far this year of people who have just stood up and said, I want to follow Jesus. And that's the work that he is doing, that Jesus draws us to himself, and then we make the choice that, yes, I will follow. I will follow him all the days of my life. And I will find this living bread, this bread that gives life, that satisfies every longing, every desire in my heart. And then Jesus, uh, and I, I think it's so important, you know, that sometimes we think God doesn't want anything to do with us. But that's not true. Paul told, the, uh, told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 4, says God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone everywhere, every man, woman, and child on this planet, God wants everyone everywhere to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's you, that's me, that's everybody. He wants everyone on planet Earth to have a relationship with him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He wants everyone in his family. He wants to spend forever with everyone. And he's calling all people to himself. And we must make that decision. We must make that choice to say, you know what? I am going to follow Jesus. No turning back. In John 6, 48, Jesus repeats this phrase when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread who gives life. So I don't know what you're hungry for. I don't know what you're thirsty for. But I got a feeling that you're hungry. That you're spiritually hungry. And that you're spiritually thirsty. And if you're like me, there's, there's ways that we try and fill that spiritual hunger, that spiritual thirst that, that just don't satisfy. And, and maybe for you, maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's, it's drugs or alcohol and you're using or you're drinking to excess and you're thinking, I'm going to fill this hole, I'm going to satisfy this hole in my life, I'm going to satisfy this hole in my heart with a substance. I've got to escape. I, I use substances to escape, whether it's a, escaping the pain of life or the pressure of life or, or just escaping this empty feeling. You try and escape, but the problem is, is that when you come down from that high or when you sober up, that pressure is still there, that pain is still there. Those problems are still there. The pressure, pain, and problems of life are still there even when it's worn off. And if you're trying to satisfy that longing, if you're trying to satisfy that thirst with substances, it's going to wear off. And, it's gonna, and you're going to be right back in the same position you were in. You need Jesus to come alongside you and say, let me fill you. Let me satisfy that longing. Let me satisfy that, that thirst that hunger. And, I, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to help you escape, but I'm going to help you deal. I'm going to help you, I'm going to give you strength and sustenance to carry you through the pain and the problems and the pressure of life. Or maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe you're searching for meaning and purpose and unconditional love in another person. And you're trying to find that in someone else. And it's a relationship you know that doesn't please God. You're sleeping around or you're, you're uh, sleeping with somebody that you're not married to. And, and you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this, this love in this person. And yet they let you down time and time again. And they're pulling you away from Jesus. They're not helping you get closer to him, but they're pulling you away from him. And, and you're not going to find that love in another person. You're only going to find that unconditional love that your heart craves and that your soul desires. You're only going to find that in Jesus. Because he loves you unconditionally with an unconditional, unselfish, unlimited kind of love that only Jesus can offer you. And so if you're searching for love in all the wrong places, you need to, you need to turn to Jesus. Because he will give you that love that you crave and that you desire and that you need. So maybe you're looking for it in a relationship. Maybe you're looking for it in substance. Or maybe it's a, a financial thing. Maybe you have a hunger that you're trying to satisfy with, with your money. With like retail therapy. Guilty. <laughs> should see my closet. You know, it's like, this is going to make me happy. This is going to make me, you know, these things are going to make me happy. These things are going to satisfy this hunger that I have. This spiritual hunger that I have. And so we go out and we buy more clothes and, or we go out and we buy more cars. We go out and we buy more gadgets. We go out and we buy more houses. And, and it's just, we think to ourselves, that if I can just have this, I'll be happy. If I can just have this, I'll be satisfied. If I can just have these things, then I'll be satisfied. Or if I just work harder, if I get more money, and if I work myself to death, then I'm going to find meaning. I'm going to find purpose to life if I just work harder. And all that does is get you tired and exhausted. And Jesus says, quit working so hard and come to me and I will give you purpose and I will give you meaning and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound great? Just being able to rest in the arms of Jesus. Sounds wonderful. And so wherever you're at today, whatever that hunger is, whatever that thirst is, that you are just trying to fill with, with something, you know, that, that isn't going to satisfy. The thing about bread is that it takes a while to make. You got to wait for the yeast to rise and you, you got to wait for the bread to bake. You know, it takes some time. But we live in a world where uh, we're trying to microwave everything. We're trying to microwave our spiritual life. We're trying to microwave our faith. And what you really need to do is you need to slow down and savor the Savior. You need to slow down and say, you know what, I just want to sit here with Jesus for a while. I don't want to microwave this anymore. I want to slow down and savor the Savior. Because it's in the Savior where we find that our hunger is satisfied. Because the temporary snacks of this world are nothing compared with the eternal feast that is found in the bread of life. This is a meal that will never end. This is a feast that will go on forever and ever and ever. And when we try and satisfy that hunger with snacks, you know, just little snacks here and there, we're not going to be satisfied. But when we turn to Jesus, He will satisfy that hunger that we have. Last one. If you want to be spiritually satisfied, you need to slow down, sit down, and have a meal with Jesus. 
You need to spend some time with your Savior. You need some time to sit down with Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. And I need you alone. And when we do that, when we sit down with Jesus, and we say, Lord, I need you to satisfy me. I need you to satisfy my hunger. I need you to satisfy my thirst. When we sit down with Jesus and we take time to just savor our time with him, we find that the living bread, the bread of life, the bread who gives life, satisfies those longings. I want you to think about that this week, about as you move about through your life this week, just how can you sit down and savor the Savior?